0: You are listening to Jesus Stories, a teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series takes a look at the stories or parables Jesus told and how they relate to our lives and the world around us. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileesTL.org. Today, we're kicking off a series here at Jubilee called Jesus Stories. It's a five part series. Uh, It's going to go over the next few weeks here, and and what we're going to be looking at is just what it says, some of the stories of Jesus. Jesus... Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I respect about him the most is his ability to communicate with a whole range of different people. He, in his teachings and in the things that he said while he was walking around here on earth, he was able to communicate things in such a way that a guy with three, H, three PhDs would just be knocked off his rocker by some of the wisdom that came from the mouth of Jesus. And at the same time, in the same story, he'd be able to communicate to a six-year-old kid and they would understand what he's talking about. And and these Jesus stories that we're looking at, uh, sometimes he's communicating with a group of people who are just common men. Other times he's communicating with a group of religious leaders that he may, maybe isn't so happy with, and they're usually not so happy with him either. And that would be the case with this story that we're going to be looking at today. This story that we're looking at today, Jesus is communicating with a, with a group of religious leaders, the, the chief priest and the elders of the people, so the religious authority in that day. He's, he's communicating with them and they're questioning his authority. And he's been doing some things that they really don't like. He's been doing some things that have kind of been getting under their skin a little bit. One of them is he comes to the temple And he sees that they're selling birds, you know, birds to make a sacrifice with. And he he sees that they're selling these at the temple, trying to make money off of people while they come to make their sacrifices. Essentially, what they're doing is keeping poor people from being able to make sacrifices and and make substitution for their sin. And those with money are coming in and giving money and getting essentially the good seats in church, right? And, And so Jesus comes in and he makes a mess of this thing. And he says... In Matthew 21, just before where Kurt just read for us, he says, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you make it a den of robbers. And so he starts flipping tables over and making a whole mess of the temple. And the religious leaders start questioning him and they say, what authority are you doing these things based on? Jesus, who do you think you are to come in and kind of mess up our whole religious system that's going on that's working pretty well for us? I mean, we're in power and we got control and people are looking up to us and kind of putting us on a pedestal and, and, and we're the ones who got the squeaky clean, you know, look on our, on our robes and everybody thinks, wow, those guys are so spiritual. And Jesus comes in and says, no, you're, you're creating barriers for people to know God. But my house is meant to be a house where all the nations can come to God. So Jesus, is, he's breaking down every barrier that these religious leaders would put up to the gospel. He's breaking down every barrier that these religious leaders would put up to people coming to know God who loves them. And he comes in and he says, it's not going to happen anymore. And they shoot back and they say, Jesus, who do you think you are? By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus says, let me tell you a little story. So that's where we're that today. And if you look at verse 28 in your Bible there, if you haven't pulled it out yet, I really would love if we all read along together today. So there are black Bibles under your chair. Uh, if, if there's not one in front of your chair, you could snuggle up to the person next to you and read from theirs. It's um, so a little get-to-know-you. So we're in page, page 826 and 827 at the bottom right of 826, top left of 827. So Jesus says, "Let me tell you a story, guys. This is, this is the authority that I have here." He says, "There was a father. He was a man who owned a vineyard, and he's using language that the people can understand. It's one of the things about Jesus' stories. He used everyday language. He didn't say the big religious words. He said, "Hey, guys, there was a farm, and there was a dad." And he had a couple sons, and he's telling his sons to go work in the field, and this is what the kingdom of God's like. And he says, he went to the first son, and he said, "Son." Go work in the vineyard today. And the son shot back. If you've got kids, you've probably never experienced this. But the son shot back and he says, I'm not. I will not do that. And the father walked away and eventually the son started feeling, man, I disrespected dad a little bit. I probably need to go work in the field. So he went and he worked in the field. So what did the first son do? He disrespected, but then he obeyed. The father goes to his second son. He says, son... Go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I go, sir. Yeah, dad, I'll do that. I'd love to go work in the vineyard today. Shows a lot of respect. Calls him sir. Yeah, God, I respect you. Gives him lip service. He's saying the right things to God, right? What does he do? He doesn't go. He gave lip service. He said the right things, but he didn't obey. Jesus says to these religious leaders, he says, which of these two obeyed God, obeyed his father? Which one was it? You know, the one who went or the one who didn't? The one who went, right? Easy story, really easy to follow. And then he begins to compare these two sons. And he says, the first, he said, I say to you truly, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you religious leaders. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to go in before you, you religious leaders. Now this is a profound statement because if you, if you know what the culture was like during this day and time, tax collectors were uh, considered uh, like the scum of the earth. You didn't want to be a tax collector. You didn't want, to, you didn't want your cousin to be a tax collector because then, your whole, then all your friends hate you. You didn't want your dad to be a tax collector. They, they had a lot of money, but it's because they were always ripping people off. Tax collectors were considered thieves. People hated the tax collectors. Tax collectors, you could think of like a governmental authority who's uh, continually uh, being a scam, continually ripping people off. So it's the, it's the school board members who steal money from the kids at school, right? It's the school board members who are always smuggling away a little bit extra for themselves. That's the tax collectors of the day, Everybody hated the tax collectors. The Pharisees, or the religious leaders of the day, when they would pray and thank God for all that they had in their life, they'd say, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Thank you, God, that I'm not like the tax collector who hates you and sins and steals from people. I'm so much better than the tax collector, right? So the religious guy looks at his life and says, yeah, I obey God, I got it all cleaned up. I'm squeaky clean. Say it with me, squeaky clean love you guys. I try and have a lot of fun when I preach. Hope that doesn't bother you, but Jesus was funny. He had fun, so I hope he's funny in your life. What was I saying? Tax collectors. and clean. Prostitutes, right? So prostitutes in this day and age were considered even lower than tax collectors. If you were a prostitute, you hid your face from everyone. If you were a prostitute and you're walking down the street and someone knew, oh, there's a prostitute coming, they'd go to the other side of the street. They didn't want to be associated with a prostitute. The religious leaders, I mean, for goodness sake, they brought a naked woman to Jesus and said, we just found her in the act of adultery. Shame her, let's stone her to death. I mean, to be a prostitute in that day and age is you were the lowest of the low of the low. If you guys have heard the story of the woman at the well, the woman at the well would go and draw water from the well in the hottest part of the day by herself because she didn't want to see any other women there who were going, going in the cooler parts of the day because she knew that she would be shamed and rejected and even called out for what she had done in her life. And all she had done was commit adultery on her husband. She wasn't even a prostitute. She'd been sleeping with men that weren't her husband, which clearly God didn't approve of. And she was shamed. And yet even lower than that would be a prostitute. And yet Jesus says in this story, the tax collectors and the prostitutes enter the kingdom of God before the religious people. Not only that, before the religious authorities. This blows my mind and this should blow our minds. This should blow our minds that what we're reading about is not a God who says good people go to heaven. What we're reading about is, not a, is it's not a God who says, if you come to church on Sunday mornings and you act the right act and you play the right part and you say the right words, then you're going to get yourself into heaven. And you're going to get yourself accepted by God. What we're talking about is a God who has a different kind of standard. We're talking about a God who, who comes and says to people who are religious and put on this facade and try and mask all their actions and their thoughts and their feelings. They're not honest about their sin and their struggles, but they're, they're always projecting something. Talking about a God who calls that out and says, I'll have nothing to do with that. But a God who comes to the broken and hurting and the ones who are rejected by society and says, I'll have you. Talking about an amazing grace here. And I know in my life, I've, I've been able to relate to both of these people. I've been able to relate a lot to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. When I first became a Christian and I first saw the, the, the word of God and what God re- required in my life. And I saw the, the grace of Jesus and how he died on that cross to show me love and to forgive my sin. When I first saw that and I saw who, who God really was in truth and in goodness and in, and in his holiness. Just like we were singing about this morning that God's holy, holy, holy Holy means that he's set apart, that he's different, that there's no one like him, that he's better than all, that he's greater than all, that he's kinder than all, that he's more true than all. When I first saw the holiness of God in my life, it was like a mirror reflecting into my heart, telling me, Dylan, you're an adulterer. Dylan, you're a prostitute. You're a thief. You're a murderer. See, J- Jesus says, you know, if, they say don't murder, but I say if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you murdered. I first saw that, God, Dylan, you've you've murdered these evil, wicked things that I would look at other people and say, how could you be like that? When I saw the word of God, it came into my heart and it said, you're like that. And I was able to relate to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. I still remember the day that I became a Christian, how I was just crying my eyes out because Jesus met with me and he loved me and he poured his grace upon me. The reason I'm following him today isn't because I cleaned my life up and I, I got out of some pit that I got myself into. It's because his grace and kindness led me to repentance. And that's the story of the gospel. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Pointing our finger or having a finger pointed at us doesn't help us. Someone's saying, clean yourself up. If you're dirty, you know I can't clean myself up. I've been trying to clean myself up. I could scrub all day. The filth is still there. But the message of the gospel is if I believe on him, he'll make me clean. It's his kindness that leads me to repentance. But what was it specifically that the prostitutes and the tax collectors did or believed? Because obviously God isn't a God who's just saying, everybody go do bad things and be wicked and evil and then you'll get into heaven. That's clearly not it, right? Right? There's something greater than that. There's something more important than just what we're doing. He's taking it off the plane of your external actions, and he's taking it into something further. And as we read on, we see, he says, For John came to you, you religious leaders, in the way of righteousness. And you, you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him says, even when you saw it, even when you saw their faith and you saw that they believed in John's message, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. And that's why you don't have a place in the kingdom of God. They didn't have a place in the kingdom of God because they didn't believe the message that John preached. If you know know John, John the Baptist, he was the cousin of Jesus. He came before Jesus and he preached the message about God who was to come. He preached the message about this this Messiah and and that he was coming soon and that this Messiah who the Jewish people had been waiting on all this time, that he was among them now. What he was saying to the people is that the the one we've been waiting for, he's with us. That man is somewhere among us and he's coming. And I'm here, John was saying, to prepare the way for him. So he was baptizing people in, in repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. He's baptizing them to prepare them for the Messiah or the Savior to come. And when John saw Jesus, he looked at him and he said, that's him. That's the one we've been waiting for. If you know Jewish history at all, the, 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 the history of the Jews is that they were a people who were waiting for a Messiah to come that would redeem the whole people of Israel and bring them back into a relationship with God. And when Jesus came, he preached a message that said, it's not just the people of Israel, it's all the people of the world. Which is why he said, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. And so this message of John that the, that the religious leaders wouldn't believe was a message about Jesus. And for us to really understand that and to understand exactly what they rejected, we need to understand what, they, what John was saying. So what I want to look at is I want to look at what John said about Jesus and what Jesus said about himself and, and, and ask this question of ourselves today, this question of who is Jesus really? Because if whether being a tax collector and a prostitute or whether being a religious leader or whether just being a stay-at-home mom or whether being a businessman or whether being a father of three or a single guy, if, if it doesn't matter our stage of life, if it matters what we believe about Jesus, a big question for us is who is Jesus? What does it actually mean to believe in him? In our culture, there's so many things that people believe about Jesus. There's so many ideas out there floating around about who he really is. If I were to ask a hundred people, who is Jesus? I might get a hundred different answers. You know that, right? You've got friends who claim Christianity and you think, that's way different than what I think about Jesus. Or 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 you've heard of people who claim Jesus and you think that is way different than what Jesus seemed to be like in his life. Jesus seemed like a good guy and they don't seem to be following that. Are we all on the same page? There's a lot of ideas. Out there, this is uh, an interesting one. Dan Dan Brown in the Da Vinci Code. You guys remember the Da Vinci Code? It's a hit, right? He suggests that Jesus was not the Son of God, but that he was just a mortal prophet, a, a great and powerful man of staggering influence, a great religious teacher, but that he was not the Son of God. Those are two big ideas in our culture today: that Jesus is a great and powerful man of staggering influence. Great character, great moral teachings, a great man of heart. He did good deeds, but he wasn't God. That's a really big idea in our culture today. Another really big idea is that his teachings were incredible religious teachings. Things like the golden rule, do unto others as you would want done unto you. That came from Jesus. Things like love your neighbor as you, as you yourself want to be loved. Came from Jesus. Things like husbands, lay down your your life for your wife came from Jesus. Things like love, these, these amazing teachings on love that we see preached at a lot of weddings. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It all came from Jesus. His religious teachings are, are, are elevated still in our culture. Still, many people try and live by those and strive after them and yet say, I don't think he was God. So there's this idea. He's a great man and a great teacher, but I really don't think... He was God. And what we have to ask ourselves today, if you call yourself a Christian, is what does the Bible say about Jesus? And, and, and whatever the Bible says about Jesus, can I really believe that in my own life? So we'll start with John and we'll go through a few. How's that sound? Good? All right. John 1, verse 29. Should I have that on the screen for you? The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. This is John. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First thing about Jesus is he's the Lamb of God. In that old religious system, what they would do to make sacrifices or substitution for sin is they would take a lamb, they would slaughter the lamb, and that lamb would be a sacrifice so that instead of the people dying for their sins, the lamb would die for their sins. And that would, happen, that would happen very frequently because there, there, there was a constant need for the people to be forgiven of their sins so that they could have relationship with God. The author of Hebrews writes that the, the high priests of old were continually making sacrifices. They were continually on their feet. Essentially, they never got a break, always having to make sacrifices. Same author of Hebrews, he writes, the same, he writes that Jesus, he made one sacrifice once for all. That when he died on the cross, it was finished. That sacrifice made a way for all sins to be forgiven for all time, and that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. In John saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's saying he's the one and for all Lamb. There never again needs to be a Lamb. There never again needs to be anything that you or I ever need to do to make ourselves acceptable to God. The only thing we need, what John says, is to trust in Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. Another thing about him... He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this, he's, the, he, he's the third person of God. Uh, Christianity is a little confusing in that God is three persons in one person. So he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet there's only one God. I won't go into that because it might take all day, but... Let's just say the Holy Spirit is the third person of God. He's the reason why why Christians can say, I have a relationship with God. If you ever heard a Christian say, I have a relationship with God, and you thought, that's weird. This is why. Because the Holy Spirit, for anyone who believes in Jesus, comes into that person's soul and begins to minister to them and speak to them and encourage them and strengthen them in their faith in Jesus. Jesus said the Spirit would come and teach him all the things that he taught his disciples. So, he's the Lamb of God, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and finally, probably the hardest one to uh, receive is that John says, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, in that day and age, to claim that somebody was the Son of God was just a little bit weirder than to claim that somebody's the Son of God today, right? So, if you were to kind of walk around today and be like, I'm the Son of God, we'd all be like, you're crazy, right? (laughs) Right? John, Jesus's cousin, says, I've seen this and I've borne witness. This man is the Son of God. In that day, if you were to claim that somebody was the Son of God or this Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting upon and you were wrong, that could have meant life in prison or even death. And John got both of those because of his claims. He got in prison and then he got his head cut off because he said Jesus was the Son of God. That's what John said about Jesus. What did his disciples say about him. What did Jesus' disciples say about Jesus? They spent three years with him. They probably knew him pretty well. Um, Surely they knew if he was God or not. If you want to check out Matthew 16, 13 with me, it should be on the screen. Another little story. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So none of the people are saying Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you guys, my closest friends, who do you say I am? Simon Peter piped up, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. His disciples thought that he was the Son of God. They were convinced of it. The disciples died for their faith that he was the Son of God of God, every single one of them lost their lives for their faith that he was the son of God. Except for Judas, who rejected him in his last breaths. What did Jesus say about himself? This one could help us a lot, because if Jesus never said he was the son of God, then that's end of the story, right? I mean, if he didn't think he was God, even if other people did, we can pretty much call at the end of the day, he wasn't God. But if he thought he was God, we got to keep searching a little bit. Some people would say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never said that about himself. And I'd agree that he he never put on a t-shirt that said God and kind of walked around like God's in the house, you know. But his teachings do point to and make very clear that he thought he was the son of God. Most great religious teachers, in pointing to God, they point away from themselves. Jesus pointed to himself. So Jesus said... Most great religious teachers, they'd say, hey guys, that's the way to follow. That's the truth to believe in. That's the, that's the life that you can attain. Jesus said, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. He said, if you want a relationship with God, have a relationship with me. He said, if you want to see God, see me. His religious teachings pointed to the fact that he was God. He claimed to satisfy the deepest human needs, things that only God himself could do. We, ha- we all have what you might call kind of a spiritual hunger. Three 20, 20th century psychologists all recognize this. Freud says people are hungry for love. Jung says people are hungry for security. Adler says people are hungry for significance. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Any hunger that you have in your life, any need that you have in your life, any longing that you have in your soul can be satisfied by your Creator. And Jesus says that he is that. Before I believed in Jesus, I remember times of feeling as though my, my my soul was empty. I remember one specific time when I was in a room with a friend at that time and, and, and I just, as I was there, I remember feeling as though this, this darkness came over me and I just felt completely empty inside and I was really freaked out by the whole thing. And I got up early and went to work the next morning and I had a Christian buddy at work and I said, man, what on earth is happening to me? I just feel... I just got my boat rocked by some weird spiritual thing. And he looked at me and he said, Dylan, you were made to know God. You've got a huge empty hole inside of you because you're not walking with Jesus. And he was totally right. I didn't believe him then, but shortly after that, I came to Christ and I've never felt so satisfied and filled in my entire life. Many in this room, you testify to the same thing. You'd say, I felt empty before. When I came to Christ, everything changed. Addiction is a major problem in our society. Jesus said, "If the Son sets you free, you'll be free." Indeed, could be a whole host of things: addicted to drugs, addicted to porn, addicted to what my image is like, addicted to what people think of me, addicted to my job, addicted to being the best parent I could ever be, or whatever it is. We get consumed by all these things. Some of them good things. They they enslave us. They tie us down. They make us their own little slaves. Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free. Indeed. Many people are depressed and disillusioned and in despair. They're in dark places. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I remember when I became a Christian, it was as though I'd spent my entire life walking around in a dark room looking for what I was meant to be doing and what life was all about. And I was just looking around like a lost, hopeless guy. And when I, when I believed in Jesus, it was as though someone turned the lights on and I could see everything in the room. I've heard so many people testify of this, that when they came to Christ, it was as though the lights came on and they could see what life was all about. They could transcend above the daily and they could see God's plan for them and for others. I remember before I was a Christian, death was something that I kind of avoided just straight away from. The thought of dying was something I didn't want to think about. The thought of of losing this life and what would happen in the next was something that freaked me out and I'm sure has freaked a lot of us out. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. This is the promise of Christianity, that it's not all about this life, that there's a life to come. And for all those who put their faith in Jesus, that he has got life and life abundantly for us. As a matter of fact, as a Christian, death is something to look forward to. Because it means eternal life with him. The heavenly bliss. Or as Jesus would say, paradise with himself. Mother Teresa was asked shortly before her death, Are you at all afraid of dying, Mother Teresa? She said, How can I be? Dying is going home to God. I've never been afraid. No, on the contrary, she said. I'm really looking forward to it. This is what Jesus said about himself. He clearly saw himself as God and the one that all people needed to come to. Last thing that I would look at is I would look at what did a man's enemies say about him? If you really want to know what a man was all about, ask his enemies. You might find out some interesting things. Jesus's enemies, when they were getting ready to stone him, said this, They picked up stones to stone him, and then Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? They said, we're not stoning you for any of these, Jesus. They replied, for blasphemy, because you, a mere human being, claim to be God. Now, if I was Jesus and I wasn't God, that would be like the end of the road for me right there, right? Like if I was Jesus and I was just playing this whole God card, and they're like, dude, we're going to stone you because you claim to be God. All right, guys, you're right. You know, I'm not God. It was a good game while it lasted, but keep the stones in the sling. You know, I, I don't want to die that way today. But he kept up the act. He kept up what he said, that he really was God, and he was crucified for that very thing. So his cousin John, his disciples, Jesus himself were all convinced that he was God and they all died for that truth. His enemies crucified him because he claimed to be God. But for us today, how do we come to the conclusion? How do we know for sure? What's the evidence for us that what Jesus said about himself really is true? There's a few different conclusions that we could come to today and I think they all really boil down to three. The first is that it wasn't true. And there's two things that could come out of this. If it wasn't true, Jesus was either lying. He knew it was true, but he was lying. And in that case, we'd call him a liar, right? We'd call him an evil man. Man, you deceived, you've deceived millions of people by this lie that you made up that you were God. What a wicked man. If that's true, we can't say he was a good man, but he wasn't God, right? If he claimed to be God, he either was or he was a bad man. The second thing, if it was wrong, is that we wouldn't really be able to say he was a good religious teacher, because anybody who claimed to be God, but wasn't God, and, and he, but he really thought he was God, like he was convinced of it, we'd call him insane, would we not? I mean, it, it, if we, if Jesus was walking around today and he's like, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, and we're like, Jesus, we know you're not God. He's like, no, I am, I know I am, I'm convinced of it. Jesus, chill out, man, you're not God. We'd say, this guy's a lunatic. We'd lock him up, right? If that's the case, we can't call him a good religious teacher. He's a crazy religious teacher, but he wasn't a good religious teacher. The only other option for us is that he was and truly is God. But none of this nonsense, right, about being a good man or a good teacher and not God, because it couldn't, it couldn't be possible. C.S. Lewis says just this. I guess I could have just read this quote and saved you guys some time, but I'll let you hear it from him: a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be insane or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else insane or something worse. But don't let us come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. We are faced then with a frightening alternative. The man that we are talking about was and is just what he said, or else insane or something worse. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither insane nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. I've got to ask you the question this morning, if you haven't yet believed this truth, will you believe it this morning? Will you believe this morning that Jesus is God? We put the, the hope of your life upon that? Belief in the Bible isn't just a mental, a mental acknowledgement. Yeah, that's true. No, belief is a, it's a fullness of hope. It's a, I'm setting all my hope. I'm putting all my cards in this deck that he really is God. And I've got to ask you this morning, would you take that step? Would you cross the line of faith? Would you say, yeah, I'm going to believe that he's God? I'm going to trust in Him to be my Lamb of God, to take away all my sins. I'm going to trust in Him to baptize me in His Spirit, to let me have relationship with Him. And I'm going to to proclaim it. Yeah, Jesus, You're God. I come to that truth. I submit to that truth. For me on that day when I became a Christian, the pastor, the church I was in, he, he said, if you want to become a Christian today, you just come on down the aisles, come get in the front row. He kind of, did it step by step. He tricked me a little bit, you know. He said, if you want to believe this, raise your hand. I raised my hand and then he said, if you raise your hand, come on up. (laughs) He said, if you came on up, kneel down. I was like, (laughs) I tell you what, I knelt down and I cried and I cried and I cried because in that moment I met the God of the universe. In that moment I met Jesus Christ who I believe is alive and well today. And wants to meet with every single one of us. And that was the first time in my life I'd ever met him. I've talked with him and I've known him a lot more since then. But that first encounter with him was something I'll never forget. And the promise for any single person in this room who would believe in him is that that can be the case for you as well. If you're asking the question, you know, I want to believe this, but I don't know how to believe this. I don't know how to practically take this step. Let me just help you with a few things here the first and foremost is to recognize your need to, to humble yourself or one way to say it would be to get low before you get lifted up these religious te- teachers their problem was their pride they weren't willing to submit and say jesus you're right and i'm wrong I, I, i've sinned and i need you that was their problem don't let that be any of our problems today we're too arrogant to receive No, no, no. Let us recognize our need. And then all we have to do is follow Paul's instructions. Romans 10, 9 through 13. He says a few quick things. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All you need to do today is confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. What does he say there? He says, for everyone means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your present. It doesn't matter what you're going through or what you've been through or what you've done or what you haven't done. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. They will be saved. I hope that today, for some of us, it's the day that we meet with Jesus. And for all of us who maybe have already been walking with Jesus for some time, I hope that today is a day of refreshing in our faith, I hope it's a day for you where you can come again afresh and say, Jesus, you're God. You're the God of the universe. You're the Son of God, and I trust in that truth. I was just thinking about us as a church as I was preparing this message and thinking about what would it be like if all of us were trusting constantly in his good work and not not trying to put on these pretenses and not trying to, to project something to people but constantly coming to this place of saying, Jesus, I need you and I trust you and I believe you. What would it be like for us as a church? I think we would be, I think we'd be a joyful people. It's one of the the marks of this church that's just incredible is that we're a joy-filled people. I think we'd experience more awe and more wonder at the work of God. I think more people would come to Christ. We'd see that baptismal just getting used like crazy. It's one of the dreams that we have as a church is that that baptismal would be the first thing to wear out. We just use use it and use it and use it and use it and use it. You couldn't come on a Sunday without somebody being dunked in that tank and coming up with joy because they've trusted in Christ. That's a dream for us as a church. How does that come true? It comes true by each and every one of us believing in Him and preaching Him and telling others about Him. Telling our friends and our family and our co-workers, He is God. You can trust Him. He'll give you life and life abundantly. You can come to Him and give your life over to Him. And we'll just see that thing over and over and over again. I hope today that we can all come and experience this grace afresh.